Welcome to Health Outlook, a podcast and interview series focused on helping pre-health students understand various fields within the world of healthcare. I am your host, Anirudh Madali, and I am a sophomore at the University of Michigan studying neuroscience and pursuing a career in medicine. My academic interests include neurology, oncology, biomechanics, and sports physiology. Each episode, I interview pre-health students, health professionals, and anyone else doing meaningful work or service in healthcare. My goals for this podcast is to help those like me in their pre-health journey to understand the many possible paths we may take to creating a better world around us and improving healthcare on an individual level. This episode features a great discussion with Sarvani Kurgandi. Sarvani completed her undergrad at Emory University and initially a pre-med student who even went as far as taking the MCAT. She switched gears to pursue her passion in public health, specifically social epidemiology. She then took a gap year during which she worked as a teaching assistant and conducted research at Rutgers University. After her gap year, Sarvani completed a very unique and rigorous Master of Public Health degree from NYU's Accelerated Program. As a former pre-med and MPH degree holder, she is highly qualified and very experienced within the world of pre-health and currently working in public health. I believe many people will benefit from our discussion of her experiences as a pre-med at Emory, her time conducting research at Emory, as well as her other extracurriculars, her decision to take a gap year followed by her pursuit of a master's degree in public health. We also discuss her time traveling during the NYU MPH program as it was a global public health program that took her to countries like Argentina and Spain. My favorite parts of this episode were when we discussed why she is pursuing social epidemiology throughout her education and career, as well as her experiences working for a public health program in India a few years ago. This is a very entertaining and informative conversation, and I believe any pre-health student will be able to take something away from this episode. I hope you all enjoy, and let's dive right into my conversation with Servani. Welcome to the podcast. First off, thank you so much, Servani, for sitting down with me and discussing your story. I think today's conversation will help a lot of people out there who want to learn more about the public health side of healthcare. Yeah, hi. I'm excited to get talking and thank you for inviting me on. Definitely. Um, let's start by taking it back a couple years to when you started college at Emory. Coming in as a prospective pre-med, what interested you from high school? Did you have a clear idea about your major or path to med school then? Uh, to be honest, I don't think I had a clear idea at all. I think it was kind of like a process of elimination, more like I didn't really know what else to do. I wasn't interested in business or really engineering or law. So I guess like, you know, like coming from a Brown household, the only thing really left was medicine. So I think I also was like, well, I don't really have a passion for I don't see a passion for myself in anything else, so I might as well try pre-med was how I entered Emory. Interesting. So did you know or keep in the back of your mind that there might be something else, like another traditional graduate school route for you? I didn't. I definitely went in thinking I'm going to be pre-med and see where it takes me. Um, I don't think I really, like, kept in the back of my mind there might be anything else. Interesting. And how were the initial stages of being a pre-med student before you decided to switch to public health? Um, I guess it was, you know, just like anyone else's. I was just taking the core classes um, while um, trying to figure out what my major would be. I did start 
declare well I never declared but I entered Emory thinking I would be a neuroscience major um, and then by my sophomore year when it was time to declare I switched to public health but um, during the initial stages I just you know like did regular pre-med classes and then took my core classes as well um, I did come from a kind of non-traditional college experience because I started my first few years at Oxford College of Emory University which is also Emory University, but it's a separate campus that's located in Covington, Georgia, not Atlanta. Um, and it's a much smaller campus. It only houses first year and second year students. Um, and so the, all, the, all the people that end up going to Oxford, I think there's only like 300 or 400 maximum, um, 200 for the first year, 200 for second year. And then we all end up transitioning onto Atlanta's main campus for our third and fourth year. So being at Oxford, it's an extremely small campus. It's just like one giant circle and that's it with like one dining hall, only one um, mail center, one rec area, things like that. So the classes that were available actually was not a lot that you can take. So there actually wasn't really a way for me to explore different majors or explore different classes. All that was available was like more classes geared toward like a pre-health, pre-business, or pre-law international studies route. So, I mean, they didn't even offer a single really public health class when I was there. So I didn't even know what it was until I came to Atlanta's campus. Oh, okay. So I think that's a little different from almost any other college in, um, in the country because I feel like uh, Emory is a little different in that they kind of split the the undergraduate career of a lot of students between two different campuses, whereas a lot of people like, for example, in my um, experience, like Michigan is primarily in Ann Arbor, but a lot of other students may go to Flint or Dearborn, but they don't kind of cycle through the different campuses, whereas for you, you kind of got to um, experience both the, I guess, the small campus and then the larger um, campus environment throughout your college experience. Um, did you, did anything stand out in your experiences when taking um, these kind of like initial milestones in pre-health or pre-med? Um, like for example, the physics sequence or a calc class or, you know, like the, the infamous organic chemistry sequence. Um, I wouldn't say I had any like things that were standing out. I think what was interesting for me was just the environment that was kind of around a lot of the pre-med students. I think that like while the classes weren't that difficult, um, of course, you know, they were to the level of pre-med classes. You did have to put in a lot of work outside the classroom to study. I think that it was just kind of a very competitive and very shrewd atmosphere or environment among the pre-med pre-health students, which was more shocking than I was used to because I kind of went in assuming it would be more of a collaborative atmosphere, but it really seemed like it, like people were just kind of out to fend for themselves and um, it wasn't as collaborative as I thought it would be, which I guess was something interesting that I noticed. I don't know if it's just because it was Oxford and the class size was extremely small. I think the maximum we had was 25, which is kind of like a high school classroom. Um, and when I, I ended up doing physics and organic chemistry my third year in the Atlanta campus, and it was much bigger, it was like 100 students. Um, and there I didn't really feel that atmosphere as much. 
Interesting. So do you think that you had a overall better experience at the uh, Atlanta campus than the Oxford campus? Yeah, I definitely think I did. Okay. And uh, I guess the culmination of these pre-med prerequisite classes is when a student takes the MCAT. Did you take the MCAT? I did. I did take my MCAT. I took it my like third third year going into my fourth year summer. Mm -hmm. So then I took it right before entering my senior year of college. Um, yeah, and I ended up getting a really good score. I had a pretty good like base score as well. Um, and I think the journey itself, it was very, it was very hard. It was very long. I definitely knew that like given my personality or who I am, I knew I was, wouldn't be really able to juggle my part-time job and my coursework and MCAT studying, which is why I waited until the summer and kind of was able to dedicate a solid two months for preparing. I think I, well, I live in New Jersey and I live really close to Rutgers' campus. So I would wake up every morning around like 5 a.m. and I would drive on over to Rutgers's um, library and I would kind of like rent out one of those like solo uh, rooms for group meetings and I would study there until 5 p.m. And then as I was getting closer to the test day, I would wake up, um, I would start the test at the time that you would naturally start the test and prepare and I would bring um, everything with me like I would bring my lunch snacks like coffee all all the stuff I needed and I wouldn't really leave that room so that I guess was how I prepared and I also took a Kaplan course in the beginning interesting so you definitely um, and you, you said you prepared over two months which kind of explains why you did the whole 5 a.m to 5 p.m shift whereas people usually take a little more time because they um, want to kind of integrate other things uh, like, you know, extracurriculars or research. Um, but it definitely makes sense that when you took you know, essentially two months to um, study for it, you took a lot more individual, I guess, like day-to-day -day time. And within the journey itself, um, what are you most proud of? And I'm, I'm going to ask you this, aside from being able to stick to such a, I guess, grueling schedule. Um. Well, I definitely do think like one of them would have to be how disciplined I was. I didn't realize I could do it, especially because, um, you know, when the deadline is so far away, like although two months, like holistically seems short, when you're actually starting to study, you kind of like can get into that mindset where you think, okay, well, I can do this one chapter tomorrow too. Like it won't kill me. I still have two whole months before the exam. Um, but kind of being able to stick to that schedule and writing out, this is everything I'm going to do today. And I'm not going to leave until I finish it um, was something that I'm glad I was able to stick to. And also I definitely would say I'm proud of how much information I was able to retain because the MCAT overall just covers so many broad subjects. So I guess- those two things. Did you think that you had to review a lot of the like the, the information that was from pre-med and pre-rec classes or for you was it mostly just finding a way to kind of close those gaps in knowledge and then work on actually taking the exam? I definitely think I did have to kind of relearn or reread all the information books for all the chapter or for all the pre- um, prereq courses, I think like at least my school and maybe the specific classes and teachers I took was very self 
taught and there wasn't that much of teaching on the school's end. So a lot of what I learned was like learning from the textbook and learning from other friends or group studying rather than have kind of a professor explain it um, in an easy way to understand kind of way. So I definitely had to relearn it again just for myself so I can get a better grasp because I never had that proper initial beginning grasp because it was very self-taught on my end. Oh, okay. And um, what would be your biggest regret uh, during your MCAT prep? Um, I guess maybe like the fact that I didn't go to med school. So I did all that work <laughs> for no reason. I guess, I don't know if it's like no reason, but at least if I want to, I, I mean, two years have passed since I've taken it. So it definitely, the score has expired. So mm -hmm. I'm a really good score. I can't do anything with it. So I guess that is probably a big regret. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely makes sense, especially when you got um, a great score. Um, so you, you said you started off as a neuroscience student, but shifted gears to a public health science degree. Was there a specific moment or event or, you know, some class that you took that drew you to public health? Um, I can't really remember a specific moment or specific event, but I do think that once I came into the Atlanta campus, I was... Um, I did just end up having to take a public health course as a prereq, um, and I took one, and I really started enjoying what I was learning, and I think that maybe back in my mind or, like, somewhere down there, I always knew, because when I was a freshman at Emory, that was when the Ebola um, virus broke out, and Emory University Hospital was treating some of the patients, so, like, it was almost, like, a week or something into coming to Emory, and I, like, saw the patients and the ambulances being wheeled into the hospital, so that was kind of when I was, like, oh, what, like, this is so interesting. Like, I can't believe they're at Emory. Like, um, and then I was kind of looking more into infectious disease. And the same thing happened when the Zika virus broke out because Emory is affiliated with the CDC and we have an extremely robust public health department and focus on that. Um, while I was doing a public health degree, um, I was um, had a lot of experiences to go into the CDC to meet a lot of the officials that work there and also take classes by adjunct professors who work at the CDC. Um, and another cool thing was that all my professors in public health were also doctors or they were PhD um, PhD doctors or medical doctors. And when the Zika virus came out, almost all or half of the professors I was taking classes with ended up flying out to Brazil to vaccinate pregnant mothers for the Zika virus. And I thought that was really cool, kind of getting that international exposure and fieldwork exposure too with infectious disease in low um, or rural communities. So all those like little, little things that I was noticing, I guess all accumulated when I took my first public health class um, and then started delving a little deeper and deeper in. Wow, that definitely is a lot of, uh, I guess, just a, almost a perfect storm of information and experiences for you within the public health program. Um, so I definitely, uh, hopefully for those who are listening, uh, if you're able to kind of replicate that in your own uh, college or high school, uh, definitely try to look out for how your, your teachers and professors are, uh, I guess, do you know what they're doing outside the classroom and and try to replicate that in your own life or in your extracurriculars now speaking of extracurriculars before we move into what you're doing now and how you got there 
I want to talk a little bit about uh, what you did outside of classes at Emory. Um, first, I want to shortly discuss your time as an RA for two different programs or labs. Um, the first of which is a um, environmental health program. When was this? Uh, when was this relative to your plans of changing from pre-med to public health, and how did you get into it? Um, when I was working at the lab. Yes. Um, yeah, so that was my senior year of college. That was when I had, you know, like decided to be public health. And I honestly was pre-med up until I finished my graduation. Um, so after my four years at Emory ended, I was still kind of pre-med. Uh, and so I did this environmental science work study slash like research assistant on the side my senior year. I started out doing work in a neuroscience department my junior year. And the reason why I got into that was because I knew I wasn't a neuroscience major anymore, but I still liked neuroscience. So I thought that if I couldn't do it through my coursework, I would still want to learn about neuroscience and I would still want to get that research experience. So that was why I had initially joined. Um, and the reason why also I had to not be a neuroscience major anymore was it kind of goes back to Oxford College versus Emory University. Um, at Oxford College, they didn't actually offer any of the neuroscience courses. So even mm -hmm. though I wanted to start my major, I couldn't until I had gotten to the Atlanta campus and our specific at that time, like now it has changed, but at that time, the neuroscience, it was called neuroscience and behavioral biology. So it's kind of like a two degree in one um, or two majors in one or two different subjects in one. Um, so the credits to get that were, I think like twice as much more than a regular major like for example like if a regular major needs 40 credits I think for an NBB you needed 55 credits to graduate um, and because I was not able to do that my first two years I had to cram all those credits in my last two years but mm -hmm. I had not taken orgo and physics yet and I also wanted to do research so that just seemed like it was going to be way too overwhelming on my plate and I also just didn't have that much space in my schedule yeah um that major and then orgo and chem as well and also biochem uh, which is why i started looking into other majors and that was why i fell into public health and maybe it was i think it ended up being for the best that you know this had happened because maybe i would have never even realized how much i liked public health if i had not if i had the opportunity to take mbb classes right out of the bat yeah and i think that's that's something that a lot of students kind of um grapple with because there's obviously uh if you don't come in with you know transfer transferable credits or anything you'll have to go through that the introductory chemistry sequence the introductory um, biology sequence the entire physics sequence and then you can start taking orgo and biochem uh, and pchem and then after those then you can start your you know your majors um classes and i feel like um for those out there who might have to go through essentially all of those classes it might become a time crunch when it comes to uh pursuing like a almost essentially like a double a double major which is what it sounds like to me because if it's almost double of um, the number of credits that you would need for um, any individual major uh, so i definitely think that uh the way that you went about it is um is i guess helpful to other people because they'll be able to I guess, keep an open mind and understand that 
um, yes, it is possible to for you to perhaps have finished to finish that uh, neuroscience degree, but uh, it would have come at a cost of you know not being able to complete your research or doing other extracurriculars. And um, I guess going back to the environmental health work, I learned that you also participated in environmental health work in Hyderabad, India, during one of your college summers. Uh, could you describe how these experiences in environmental health helped you later later on or how they help you now in public health? Yeah, so I always had been interested in environmental science and environmental health. That was kind of a side passion or side interest that I've always had. I didn't really know what to do with it, I guess, until I started a public health major. Um, so this kind of like internship that I had done working with the government um, in Hyderabad was with the Department of Horticulture. And honestly, I just decided to apply and take it because I just love plants. I love being around nature and I am really passionate about earth science, um, climate change um, and all that stuff. So this internship was really interesting and very special because I kind of, um, working with the team, I was able to develop three kind of intervention programs or prevention programs to increase awareness and engagement for local uneducated farmers about new technology and equipment, um, uh, new technology and equipment for when you're using um, pesticide related chemicals. So for example, how to read labels, dosage, learning the dosages, and then what proper protection equipment do you need to use it just to you know, increase safety and reduce like pesticide toxicity, which is a really big issue in agriculture places. And it's especially, um, harmful for children and pregnant mothers. So especially when a lot of these farmers um, live at home and if they have young kids who are maybe running around in the fields or um, mothers or grandmothers in the area, like just the pesticide drift itself can, um, you know, end up having a lot of like neurological or toxic, um, I guess, like complications down the line. And what makes it difficult to pinpoint is that well, what makes it difficult is the fact that you can't always pinpoint the direct cause um, and mm -hmm. the result. So, you know, like if there's somebody who's having muscle spasms, um, people can attribute that to so many other social determinants of health. Like they can say something like, it could be your diet. It could be that you're not exercising. It could be like X, Y, Z, maybe past medications or complications, but it's hard for you to draw that line between it was like actually the pesticide drifted and caused this like very slow long-term change that ended up leading to this health um human health issue kind of thing so these were kind of the stuff that i learned when i was developing this program and also kind of i also held the information sessions and they were free and they were just for locals who wanted to come and learn and i mm -hmm. kind of as a translator also in that um because i am able to speak Telugu, hindi and english so that was kind of the work that I had done and it was really great, it really set the path to what I want out of my career currently. Um, and it also led me to change my research assistant from neuro uh, research assistant position that I had, I changed it into my senior year to work in an environmental science and atmospheric chemistry lab. Wow, okay. So uh, do you see yourself maybe going back um, to India or going um, to other countries in your future to help out with env environmental health or, you know, some other aspect of public health. And I know that um, you were an infectious infectious disease intern in Argentina, which we'll get to um, in a couple of minutes. 
Um, but do you see yourself doing this almost like a full-time job um, sometime in the future once, you know, obviously the world, um, I guess, clears up a little? Yeah, that is actually 100% what I plan to do and what I am kind of doing virtually right now in itself. Um, I definitely do see myself doing fieldwork, client-facing public health, um, and like, you know, like similar to what I saw with my professors who went on ground with Zika virus, that's what I sought out in this internship. And I think that is where I see my, the trajectory of my career, definitely not desk work, but on the ground internationally, um, definitely I'm more than willing and applying to places in, to go back to India or Asia in general. So mm -hmm. I see my career, at least for the next five, 10 years, um, hopefully, um, it will go that way. Yeah. Yeah, that, that does sound like great work. And building on these experiences, I know you talked a little bit about your um, neuroscience, your, your time as an RA in a neuroscience lab, um, but you were also a, an immuno-oncology research technician at Rutgers after your time at Emory. So this is uh, during your gap year between um, your time at Emory and then your time at NYU. Um, and I've, I've talked to other guests on the podcast before of how research for pre-health students is usually just another item on the checklist. And I feel like a lot of people come in with this idea, um, but hopefully over the course of their actions and learning, they tend to actually recognize their interest in some field of research. How did you view research initially and how did that perspective change over the course of your time as a researcher and essentially a graduate student instructor at Rutgers? I think not to put it in a I guess like a down, like a negative way, but I think what I learned from this was that I didn't want to do research anymore. And this is not something that I see my career going in at all. So I think before I was an immuno-oncology research assistant or research technician, I was dabbling with the idea of being a PhD candidate. So that's kind of what led me into taking this research opportunity. And it was also what was most conducive with my past experiences as well. So it was what I was very qualified for. Um, so yeah, I was considering doing a PhD instead of pre-med like medicine anymore. But after this experience, I kind of realized that research might not be what I'm what I want to do. I think just the idea of, you know, like watching people and like just being in a very controlled environment for so many years put me off to the idea of um, especially um, I would say like wet labs, um, like clinical labs more than dry quantitative type labs, my environmental uh, science lab that I did my senior year was very dry. It was most more based on quantitative data analysis and field work. Um, we visited like a lot of farms and stuff and like would get soil samples and do work like that. Whereas like doing work, um, you know, like PCR, Western blots, um, mm -hmm. animal science was what I had done in both the Rutgers job and then what I had done in the neuroscience research too. Um, I realized animal science is not something that I feel comfortable with just morally. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess I learned many different things. The kind of environment that, that I was in for both research um, positions, it was just a very controlled, very um, microscopic view, I would say, um, of the world or just like of the subject that we were researching in. And I think that was just not what I was looking for. I think I was looking for a lot more like, like 
social interaction and a lot more, um, I guess, client facing uh, field work type of things, which is what I kind of got with environmental health as well, just the lab that I, the research that I had done there. So that was when I kind of realized that I don't think I can make a career out of research, which is why I decided not to pursue a PhD anymore. Interesting. So I definitely think that um, the lesson that can be learned from that is to keep an open mind, obviously, um, but also to be able to understand where your strengths and weaknesses are, as well as uh, where your interests are. And I think that just, you know, putting yourself into research or research programs, um, yes, they are helpful in terms of maybe, you know, getting a publication or building your resume, but um, for a lot of people, especially pre-health students, it becomes to the point of, you know, how much work are you putting in? You know, what is your actual interest? And then how much are you going to get out of it? And are you really doing it just for the resume? Or are you doing it to learn? Um, I feel like all those kind of questions are probably um, what you, you asked yourself, what I'm asking myself, you know, to this day in my research programs. And I think what everyone should be doing um, as they, you know, continue on their journey. And after your, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I think like what I definitely realized, um, you know, like as a research technician, my gap year was that, you know, you really have to love it to do it. Um, and I think that, you know, everybody in my lab was so passionate, all the PhD candidates, the PI, they were really passionate about the work they did. And they really cared about um, what they were doing as well. And I think that really is something to take into account because you know when you do research your whole life becomes this one subject or this one experiment or getting these one results and you can have you might have to do it multiple times or keep redoing it so I definitely think that um, you know for people who want to pursue research just make sure you love the subject that you're working on or the experiment that you're working on or just the topic itself because it can really make a difference um, like I just saw how much happier I was even though it was still research but doing environmental science research versus neuroscience research like I saw that I was just so much more excited and interested and was constantly delving deeper to learn more when I was doing work on pesticide usage versus um, something else in neuroscience. Yeah that, that is that is great advice. Um, after your gap year following your time at Emory, you decided to pursue a Master of Public Health degree at NYU, and you graduated earlier this year, um, I'm assuming? Yeah, so first of all, first off, congratulations for the amazing achievement. Um, I, I don't know much about you know, MPH degrees, and I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who would like to know more. Could you go into exactly what this program was about and if you specialized in anything within public health? Yes, so kind of like my undergrad experience, my grad school experience is very niche and kind of very unique to me. So I don't know how much I can speak about a regular master's in public health program. Um, generally in the US, there are about two years, um, one year with the core competencies, which is kind of like similar core classes that everybody takes, and then one year for your specialization. And you can do anything from like environmental health, biostats, social work, um, epidemiology, which is what my specific concentration is. Um, but I actually ended up getting into NYU or New York University's cross-continental master's in public health, which is an accelerated one-year program as opposed to the regular two-year programs. And every single semester we move to a different country, which is why it's called cross-continental. 
Um, so I had a very unique, very niche experience. I don't know if opportunities like this can arise in a regular master's. Um, but you know, like I never had to do like finding a summer internship or things like that because it was just like one full year and you're done. Um, and you kind of get that like, well, specifically, like I was saying, I really craved that kind of like on ground field international experience. And I want to work in an international space in my career, which is why I sought out this very niche specific program. I think we only have 15 people in our class. Um, and yeah, and it, it, it was very difficult. Um, it was very accelerated, not even the coursework, but just moving countries every year and also working while doing that. It was a very uh, special experience, something that I definitely will cherish for a long time, but I don't know how much I can speak to a regular master's program. No, yeah, I think the, um, the way you explained it, I definitely clears up uh, a couple questions that I had about uh, MPH degrees. Um, specifically for you, could you talk about where, like all the different places that you went to, uh, was it like four different places or um, were you moving within the different countries that you were in for whatever the semester or the, I guess, trimester? Mm -hmm. So um, all of us in this program are epidemiology, that's their concentration. Uh, so we started out in, we started out in May. So it's kind of like three terms. There was um, the summer, fall, and spring. So we started out at NYU DC. And in DC was where we did all of our core competencies. We were in class from like 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. because we had to, you know, do like two years of coursework in one. So it's like, you know, all the like introduction to biostats, introduction to epidemiology, um, introduction to healthcare policy, um, a lot of intro type classes. We even did an introduction to biology class um, because, you know, that the human health, human health is a big aspect of public health too. So kind of understanding, having that basic understanding of the human bio um, and how it interacts with things such as environmental factors or infectious disease factors. Like that was kind of what our um, biology was focused on. We did a lot of management type or like project management type of courses, a lot of like group or like group project based and a lot of like developing your own interventions, coming up with an idea to help a community. That was kind of how the core classes were. And we also were taking a Spanish class, um, which was because we ended up moving to um, Buenos Aires in Argentina, my fall semester. So I was there for about like five and a half months, I think last year. Um, and while I was there, all of us had an applied practice or field practice um, requirement that every single master's in the US has. So it's kind of an internship that you do and um, you have to meet like certain criteria that the school sets for you. So mm -hmm. for that, I was working as an infectious disease policy analyst and they kind of like, um, there's a list of places and then you rank them and then you interview with them and then you kind of get placed that way. Um, and the school kind of has ties to like X amount of NGOs and um, research institutes and collaborative partners. Interesting. So when you worked as an infectious disease intern or analyst, uh, this is in Argentina. Um, so did you have to continue? Did you continue this work even when you were um, in your final semester, the spring semester? Where, where were you during the spring semester for 
Yeah, unfortunately, I could not continue. Um, and that is, I guess, one of the disadvantages of doing a program where you leave the area every single semester because it makes it hard for you to maybe transition from that internship into a full time job or continue part time while you're doing coursework or to network. Um, mm -hmm. That would be a little. I mean, it, networking was still very possible. Like now, you know, we all have connections around the whole world. Um, but my spring semester, we all moved to Madrid. So we were living in Madrid until we had to get mass evacuated because of COVID. Wow, okay. So did you end up finishing your graduate studies uh, back at home or did you take it uh, at NYU or, or did you finish it at Madrid before coming back? No, it was all virtual. We left, I think, mid to late March, mm -hmm. um, somewhere around when the travel ban went into place and we uh, finished up everything else. My dissertation, everything had to be done virtually after that. Interesting. And during the pandemic, how has your work changed? Have you, um, are you still virtual everything or are things starting to open up for you? Um, how exactly is that working? I think we're all virtual still, yeah. Yeah, and uh, th that's what I was assuming. Um, in terms of the work that you're doing now, uh, is it through um, a certain program or certain, you know, um, I guess institution? Uh, could you maybe go into that a little? Yeah, so right now I am working or doing work for this NGO in Cameroon in Africa called the Association for Community Awareness. And we, um, so I'm like working for them through the United Nations. Um, and my job, my main job is kind of, um, I'm an environmental grant proposal writer. Uh, and what I guess I kind of do is, um, this is all virtually, and I work alongside five international um, other like volunteers or members um, who span across the whole world. I think we have somebody in um, London, Canada, Nigeria, um, Fiji, like all over the place. And we basically um, research on compelling cases and design program elements, generate drafts for reviews and lead meetings in order to create like high quality reports in areas surrounding environmental protection, marine pollution, coastal cleanup in Cameroon. Um, so we kind of assist in strategi strategizing um, project proposals and also exploring new funding prospects, um, ensuring progress is done uh, progress toward goals that by the Association for Community Awareness staff is met. So they have a really big problem of coastal pollution in Cameroon and that really affects um, tourism, just the physical health of the um, community members in, and it's in Bo, Bo, Cameroon. I hope I'm pronouncing it right, but. <laughs> yeah, um, that seems like a lot of, I guess, uh, a lot of things to be doing virtually. Do you see your, um, do you see this program opening up maybe in the summer or the fall once vaccines start to get rolled out? Yeah, so well, I finished my graduation, everything's done. So right now I'm working on this project, but it is contract based. So I'm not sure what things will look like once the project finishes. Um, I haven't really thought about the next mm -hmm. step yet. I don't think that this is something that I will need to be going in for person because it, it is all it all can be done virtually because it's a lot of proposal writing. Mm -hmm. um, 
So we do have a lot of Zoom meetings, a lot of virtual calls um, with the NGO and also with our team members. And so far it's been working really well. So I don't Yeah, know. that sounds great. Um, do you have any, I guess, before we wrap up, I'd like to put you through a little bit of a speed round, but before that, um, do you have any advice for someone who's listening um, who may be interested in healthcare or public health, but specifically environmental health or epidemiology, um, who's you know maybe starting, starting college right now or maybe late in high school? Um, do you have any advice or I guess maybe info on how they can get involved during this time? Yeah, I definitely think that um, because of, you know, because of COVID, there's a lot more interest in public health, even with the general public, um, which was not really seen that much before. Um, I feel like a lot of people are now understanding that public health is a career or what it actually means, or people are having a interest in learning more about it, which I think is really great. Um, I definitely remember like, you know, speaking with my parents or speaking with family and friends before COVID, um, a lot of people were confused because they were like, we know public health, but what exactly do you do? Like, what exactly can you do in public health? Um, and the answer is very broad, especially for somebody who's new or who's thinking about pursuing public health. It's a very, very interdisciplinary field to go into. And you don't have to know exactly what in public health you want to do. I think that's what's great about it is that you can kind of float around in different ways. Like for example, like even in my resume, like I did public health research, environmental science, environmental health research, but I also did client facing on ground work, government work when I worked with the government of Andhra Pradesh and that was a different experience because I was like one-on-one -on -one, got to see what was happening in this city in mm -hmm. Hyderabad and seeing the actual results of this program being set into place like at like one-on-one -on -one, talking to the farmers teaching them seeing if what we're doing these classes we're holding are they actually effective can we change this community's health um, is kind of another aspect of public health that you can do too. Um, and then I did public policy research. So I was working with, um, again, uh, producing like policy documents. And that is a little bit more, you know, like international studies law based, but also public health based because government officials, um, as we can see now play a really big role in the rules that are set by to enforce that um, the health of the citizens are well. And we can see that with vaccine development here, the um, quarantine and like the mask rules and all this stuff. Um, like, you know, there are epidemiologists and researchers who produce these documents for the government officials. So mm -hmm. I guess somebody who wants to do public health as a whole or doesn't really know what they like, there's still so much time. There's so many, I really urge people to look for companies and um, that do internships in different public health and maybe try to do something different every single summer. Like maybe if you do research one summer in public health, in climate change, maybe the next time try looking for something at the United Nations or IRC or um, JPAL or something different. Um, and then maybe trying, cause you could do public health engineering, you could do public policy, you can do dip diplomacy, you could do PhD research in it. You can also still continue to be an MD or a nurse and be a public health nurse practitioner, public health specific doctor. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so there are a lot of different things you can do um, and you end up collaborating with many types of people like just getting one program out. Um, you need, you know, you need business analysts, you need finance managers, you need somebody who's good at psychology or education or different stakeholders. Um, so it is a very broad, uh, I guess, a broad topic as well. But I definitely think as you continue to take classes, maybe you can hone in on the specific subject you like. It could be, you know, HIV AIDS, maternal mortality, maternal health, women, reproductive rights. It could be non-communicable diseases, communicable diseases like myself, um, which, you know, like I enjoy working with infectious disease as uh, specifically. So I guess, it's very broad advice to give, but I would just say because it's so broad, um, if you or if the listeners realize they like public health at a younger age, like in high school or beginning of college, they're in a really good position to kind of get exposure in various ways. Um, you know, like the CDC has internships, like even a lot of state departments, um, have internships or local departments have internships so just like look out for different opportunities like that and maybe try to dabble in many different types so by the time you want to get an mph or maybe a phd you know exactly what you like yeah uh, that's well there you have it great advice there um you kind of hit all the so many different points on how to get involved as well as how to um learn different aspects um, within public health and healthcare so that uh, if you are interested in it, then you can, I guess, continue down that path uh, with a holistic and interdisciplinary disciplinary, um, perspective. And uh, before we wrap up, I'd like to put you through a little bit of a speed round. So the rules are three sorry. questions. Oh, sorry. So before I forget, I just also wanted to say a really good way to know about public health um, is volunteering. A lot of NGOs, um, a lot of NGOs and a lot of social work also goes into public health. So they really, you know, can use all hands on deck, especially now. Um, you know, like if you're interested in climate, like Sunrise Movement is a great, um, you know, like they are really doing a lot for the climate revolution, a lot of science marches, things like that. Um, there's a lot of like, you know, like local HIV AIDS, um, NGOs that, you know, there's a lot in New York, there's a lot in Atlanta, um, especially like grassroots environment organizations. Maybe if you can find some in your local area and try to really volunteer and learn, that would mm -hmm. be a great way. Yeah, and that's uh, great advice to cap off um, this, this uh, episode. Um, before we end, the rules of the speed round are three questions. Uh, one question requires three answers. Second requires two, last one requires one. So in your opinion, what are the three hardest pre-med classes? Um, I guess Orgo would be like Orgo one, Orgo two, and the third class, I guess physics one. Physics one wasn't too bad, but I guess it's the third hardest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Orgo is, uh, it's gonna be up there for almost every <laughs> episode that I ask. Uh, Question two, uh, name your two favorite pastimes during college at Emory. Oh, I guess favorite pastimes. Um, I don't, hmm. I guess definitely like doing the, oh, I did do work on the farm 
which was really fun. We have our own, where Emery has their own organic farm and all the food from the farm is what we eat in the dining halls. So that was something that I really liked working on. And then I also, um, I guess another fun pastime of mine was the clubs I was in. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like I was in a sorority that was um, a really, I guess, like fun social way to de-stress or like hang out with friends or have activities to do outside of the classroom. Yeah, definitely. And uh, last question, outside of healthcare or public health, realistically, what other field or profession would you pursue? Hmm. Um, I guess another field I would pursue or would be interested in pursuing would, would be something like travel heavy, like working for a travel agency or digital communications or like um, hosting or like working on the travel channel or like, you know, like the people who like go to different places and like teach the viewers about them mm-hmm. kind of stuff because traveling is a huge part of my life. And I think that is also a reason why I chose to work internationally. And if I can also get that same um, experience as my job, that would be really cool if I could just travel the world and do Great. digital communications. Great answer. Great answer. Definitely um, was not a, I guess, uh, standard answer that definitely was out of left field. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you so much, Sarani, for taking the time out of your day to sit down with me and discuss your story. Um, I learned a lot from this, and I hope those who have made it to the end of this episode have also. Uh, before we finish, um, I- I'm sure that you you definitely gave uh, more than an, enough uh, advice, but do you have any quick, you know, general or specific advice that you wanted to share? Um, I feel like I said all I really <laughs> Um, I guess one advice would be just to not stress out. And oftentimes the problems that we think that we have, or, you know, like looking back, especially in the pre-med, pre-health journey, um, are a lot scarier or intense at in that moment. Um, but if you look back, it's really not something that's worth stressing so much about or worrying so much about. I really do think that things do happen for a reason. As you could see with my journey, like I had so many shifts and changes and there were a lot of times when I was scared and when I was not sure if this is the right path to take. And there are a lot of you know, external, like, it could be your parents, it could be other people who have things to say, or input to give, but I definitely urge people to not stress too much. Um, Even if small things, like even if you have to retake your MCAT more than once, or you realize you have to retake a class, and you didn't do so well the first time, like all that stuff is really okay. And it really won't hinder your chances of getting into med school, as long as you know, you have a pure passion, or you have good intentions, I think that things just will work out and it might seem like a big deal now, but you know, it's okay. And it's okay to not know what you want to do either. Um, because people, you know, like we're always still finding out with every new experience that comes and these kind of like vision or path that we have can constantly change. And that's also okay. That is very reassuring advice. Um, For those of you who have made it to the end of this episode, if you enjoyed it, please subscribe, follow, and share this with anyone who might want to learn more about healthcare, public health, and pre-health paths. Uh, In addition, please follow Health Outlook on social media for more information about future episodes. And I thank you to all of you who've made it to the end, and I wish you all good luck. Thank you.